Well, good morning. It's great to see you guys this morning. Whether you are here in the theater with us or you're joining us online or via podcast, it's great to be with you um, this morning. You know, um, my husband and I have three children. My husband is actually Ryan, the one who was making the jokes about the ski slope in the church. If, um, if you were here for the introduction part, um, that's my husband. And um, he and I, we have three great kids. And um, we have a son and two daughters. And our little girls are ages six and nine. And um, they love to play pretend, like love it. They have so many dress-up outfits and stuffed animals and dolls, and they love to role-play and to come up with these situations and scenarios where they'll be coming, they'll be like, okay, so I'm coming home from work, and then you greet me, and you say, did you stop at the grocery store? Okay, go. And so they, like, do this stuff, right? Like, it's, it's so fun. Um, and so I'm watching them, and one of the things that I've noticed as I've watched them, and that I've you know, I've, I've really wondered about, and it surprised me. I don't know if you have children or grandchildren or you've been around children. Maybe, maybe you've seen this too. But, but my girls, when they are playing and pretending, they sometimes come up with these situations and scenarios that are really awkward that they're playing out, right? Like, they'll be the parent, and they have these kids, and they're, like, super rebellious kids, and they're, like, figuring out how to discipline them and stuff. And I'm just like what's going on, right? Like, why? Why are you doing this? Why wouldn't you imagine, like, going on this great vacation somewhere or taking your kids to some, like, imaginary amusement park, right? They're, like, they're figuring out how to interact in these, like, touchy situations. And I'm like, this is surprising to me. Um, I was observing that this week. Of my, my daughters were doing this while I was working on this sermon. And it was just striking to me as I watched them and was working on this um, crucial conversation sermon and recognizing that it's almost like my little girls recognize that we're going to have these difficult encounters to navigate and they're already practicing, which is, I don't know how to feel about that, but hey, that's, that's just reality, right? But we are in the middle, actually the end, um, we are finishing our crucial conversations sermon series um, this week. And so we are looking at conversations where the stakes are particularly high. And happily, we are not the first people to think through how do you have a difficult conversation. Um, so we have been using this Crucial Conversations book. Um, I think that we have a picture of it, and it has been a really helpful tool for us as we have been thinking through some of the um, ideas and concepts of Crucial Conversations. And they have um, this definition in this book that's actually quite helpful in thinking about what a crucial conversation is. And a crucial conversation is really a conversation where people have different ideas about something, right? They have opposing viewpoints about the way to make a decision or to move forward or about how something works, right? So people disagree. And then it's something where people have strong emotions. So they have big feelings about this topic that they're discussing. And then the, the other thing that makes something a crucial conversation and not just an awkward or a difficult um, conversation to have, but really makes it crucial is that it's high stakes, right? We have a lot of casual conversations in life, but there are some conversations that we have that seem to be um, really heightened, that depending on how things go in the conversation, it could have a real impact on the quality of our life and on outcomes for things, right? Things like maybe you have to ask a friend to repay a loan, or you, you need to address or raise a concern about how your boss is interacting with you in your work environment. Or maybe um, talking with family members about how, how to interact and how, how to handle a situation where a family member is addicted to drugs. 
Right? There, there are some times where we, we have to talk with our friends about things that have happened in ways they have hurt us. And, and these go from casual conversations into conversations that are crucial because they have high stakes. These are conversations where, where marriages could be fractured or friendships could be ruptured. Right? The kinds of conversations where siblings, after this one talk, siblings won't talk to each other for years. Careers could be ruined. Right? These are the kinds of conversations that we're talking about, these high stakes, high emotion conversations where we disagree. And it feels like an appropriate time to talk about crucial conversations as a church um, because it feels a little bit like the world is bananas right now. Right? Like it, there's just a lot that's going on. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, many of the topics and the issues right now um, that are dividing us in the world and in our churches, things like politics, things like um, LGBTQ, things like even in the church, um, thinking how do we navigate worship styles right, and our liturgy. There's, there's a shifting going on in mainline churches in, in America today. And so these are topics that, that are highly charged for us. Because not only do we have different ideas about it, but we're followers of Jesus. And so the way that we understand God um, and how he wants us to live in the world, or maybe the, the most faithful way to serve or worship him, impacts how we think about this. And so these get really charged, these conversations. right? These are tender topics for us. And so these become really crucial conversations. And we have these conversations in the church, and we have them in our families, and we have them in our neighborhoods, and we have them in our workplaces. And so what we want to do is evaluate um, in this sermon series, but especially this morning, just honestly, how do we do this well? How, how do we address emotionally and politically risky issues? How do we navigate really tough conversations? How can we do this well? Um, the image that we have been using and carrying through our sermon series is one of playing catch. Um, and so this idea of tossing a ball back and forth, right? And the ball represents the conversation. And so we, we throw the ball. We, we offer ourselves in our conversation in a way that is catchable. Um, and then we receive a ball that is thrown back to us or receive a conversation in a way where we're truly catching what someone else is saying, where we're actually listening. So where we're trying to offer dialogue and we're receiving and listening what someone is saying. Right? We're not playing dodgeball, we're playing catch. And so thinking about this, right? how do we play catch? Really, like boots on the ground when we're actually doing this stuff, how can we do this? So to help us address this question um, this morning, we're going to be using this book that I just mentioned. And also I want us to look at the words of Jesus um, and then look at the book of Ephesians. So the first thing that I want to do is I want to reorient us um, to Jesus and to the words of Jesus. Uh, when Jesus was here on earth, he taught a number of things. And one of um, the things that we have recorded in scripture is that in the gospel of John, um, starting in chapter 13, Jesus was gathered with his disciples. And this was right before Jesus was going to be arrested and taken to be crucified. So he gathered with his disciples. This was the time where they shared their last meal together. And he was teaching them some things, right? Some, some stuff that he wanted to highlight right before he was going to be um, taken and crucified. And what he said to them, actually twice he said to them in this section of, of scripture, in John 13 and then again in John 15, in John 15, 12, he said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. 
This is not the first time that Jesus said this to them. We have recordings in Matthew and other places where Jesus had taught them that. But this is what he was highlighting to them. Right before he was going to go and take on the punishment for our sins, before he was arrested and crucified, this is what Jesus was highlighting. I want you to love one another in the same way that I have loved you. Right? This is how Jesus wants us to interact. This is foundational. And then after Jesus was crucified and resurrected, um, there was a guy named Paul who became a believer. And Paul was someone who wrote a lot of letters to the early churches. We have a lot of those letters. Um, One of them that we have we call Ephesians, and it's one of the New Testament books. And um, Ephesians is a letter that Paul wrote to a group of Christians who really had disagreements with one another. Um, one of the most significant things that Paul writes about broadly in a lot of the letters and things that he does is about bringing together different groups of people. He writes a lot about Jews and Gentiles. Uh, Gentiles are not Jews, so Jews and not Jews coming together and being united. This is, this is a major theme that Paul addresses, and he talks about it in the book of Ephesians. And really, in Ephesians, what Paul is doing is um, he is talking about the purposes and plans of the church, um, what God is wanting to do in the church and how he wants to use the church. And so Paul starts off in his letter in Ephesians. It's only six chapters, so you may want to actually go home and just read it. It doesn't take very long to read the whole thing. But what he does is he starts off in the beginning of Ephesians, and he reminds people what they believe together. He reminds people of who Jesus is and what he's done for them and the faith that unifies them. And then he switches kind of halfway through the book and he starts then talking about because Jesus has reconciled us to himself, then he wants to reconcile us to other people. And he starts talking about how then the church ought to interact with each other since they have this common faith. And so what I really am hoping and want us to do is for us to take the same thought journey that Paul took that church on. Um, And I want us to remember collectively what it is that we believe. Right, as we are gathered here together this morning, what do we believe? And then to consider what does that mean for how we ought to engage with each other, particularly in these areas and ways in which we disagree. Because that was certainly true of the Jews and the Gentiles to whom Paul was writing. They had fundamental disagreements about a lot of things, about how their faith um, would show up, about how they would live it out, what was required of them in their faith. They they disagreed about um, what they would eat. They disagreed about all sorts of things. And so Paul was taking them through this journey. So Paul starts off Ephesians by basically saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And then um, Ephesians 1, 7 to 8 says this. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. Okay, so Paul is basically saying through Jesus and what he did for us, he forgives us of our sins, right? And then he goes on and he says, before the foundation of the world, before God made the world, he pre-decided, he already knew what he was going to do. He knew that he was going to redeem people. He knew that he was going to forgive. He knew that he was going to gather and unify people in him. This was the plan of God before the foundation of the world. And then he says that because of this, he hasn't stopped praying for them, that they would understand even more the hope to which they've been called. And then he says, basically, oh, and by the way, don't forget that when you were offered this hope, when you were invited into this hope, you were a hot mess. 
Okay, you were still a sinner. You were living for yourself. You were living for your own selfish gain. You were full of anger. You were full of hatred. You were full of malice and all of these things, right? So you can't boast about having been redeemed. That's what Paul says, right? It's, it is not your own doing. It's not because you were any better than anybody else. It's not because you were smarter or you were cuter or prettier, right? Like, no, that has nothing to do with it. You didn't come from the right family. It's not that you had lived your life just like almost good enough. You just need to be pushed over the edge. No, he's like, no, no, you were dead, and you needed to be made alive. And God made us alive in him. Ephesians 2, 4 to 5 says that God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he's loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Right, so Paul is reminding them when you were still dead in trespasses, that means you were a hot mess, right? You weren't cute. This wasn't good. Before you even knew to reach out and receive what God was offering you, he was offering you forgiveness. He was offering you mercy. He was offering you his love. And it's because of his love for us. It's not because of us. It's because of this overwhelming mercy that God has. It's because he is even more kind and more generous and more loving than we ever dared to dream. That is why we have been redeemed, Paul tells them. He goes on to say in Ephesians 2.12, remember, you were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were stranger to the covenant. You didn't know anything about the covenant. You didn't know that God was gonna scoop you in, right? You had no hope. You were without God in the world. He is just absolutely drilling this down and reminding them this was the state of things. This was the state of us. This was the state of you. This was the state of me. You didn't have a corner on truth, right? We were separated from God. We were without hope. We were so broken that there was no way that we could redeem ourselves. We could not fix the broken situation in which we found ourselves. We required the radical intervention of a savior. And that is what Jesus did for us. That's what Jesus did in coming and saving us and redeeming us and loving us. And Paul spends half of the book of Ephesians telling them this, reminding them of this, right? Remember, this is what God has done for us. This is what he did for me. This is what he did for you. And then he goes on and kind of starts to shift and says that because of what God has done for us, he's reconciled us. It's like he's echoing the words of Jesus, right? Remembering, right, what, what Jesus had said, right, to, to love others the way that I have loved you. Paul is saying, this is the way God has loved us. Now, this is how we are going to love one another. In Ephesians 2.14, he says, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, right? The two of us have become one, and he has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Paul is... is um, reminding them that they were divided, right? These groups of people, they, they had real disagreements with each other. These were significant issues to them. These were not small things. Sometimes, you know, we kind of lose um, what Jew and Gentile, you know, kind of the intensity of that disagreement, the trench that was between them. They were bitter enemies for a long time. And now they were being brought together. And, and he's saying, hey, this is what Jesus has done for us. He's actually knocked down the wall that we had built between us, this hostility that was separating us. In Jesus, he has actually brought us together and made us one. Right? I, I, don't, I don't want us um, to miss the significance of this because this is so crazy. This is so like undoable. 
This is something that is so ridiculous and so beyond what we could imagine, right? That these people who could not agree about what was required of them and the way that they would um, show up in their faith, right? Jesus says, no, there is, no, Paul was saying to them, there, there is one body, there is one spirit, there is one baptism, there is one faith, there is one God and Father over us all and through us and in us. We are united as one. We who were once so separated from each other that we didn't have a single good thing we could say about each other. He has broken that down and made us one together. Right, friends, today, right here, in this theater, when we look around, like if you would just look even at the people who are sitting next to you, who are above you, who are below you, we disagree about a lot of things. We disagree about some significant things. We disagree about politics. We disagree about issues of sexuality. Right? We disagree about, about any number of things that we would talk about. But here we are. We just sang these hymns together. We just prayed the Lord's Prayer together. We just declared these words together from Romans, reminding ourselves what we believe and in whom we believe. And despite these things that separate us, right, and they may be here in abundance, we are recognizing that we have an even greater abundance, a God who has saved us, who has redeemed us, who has called us his own, and who has scooped us together and said, I have made the two one. Right, There is one body. There is one Lord. We, our primary identity is as people who are followers of Jesus, united together in the kingdom of God. Um, there's a, a guy who I really like, a theologian, um, who writes, his name is Gordon Fee, and he wrote a book um, about Ephesians. And one of his takeaways about the book of Ephesians, I have a quote here that I wanted to read. Um, he says that the church is the place where God has brought reconciliation between diverse people who were once bitter enemies and made them people who bear his image in their life together. Right? I love this because Paul has reminded them of the unity that they share and of their identity together and and. In their unity, they are actually reflecting the image of God. So Paul spends half of the book of Ephesians telling them about this. And then he gives them some really practical um, instructions about how they ought to interact together. And he talks specifically about how they should speak to each other, about the language that they're using, the words that they're using, right? These crucial conversations, um, and so I, I want us to, to take a look at that and to see what can we learn about as we are engaging in crucial conversations together. Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. I think one of the first things that we can learn from um, some of Paul's instructions is that loving one another includes speaking the truth. When we love each other the way that Jesus told us to and the way that Paul is describing, we will put off falsehood, which means that we're, we're not going to lie to each other, but also we're not going to stay silent. Right? He says that we're, we're going to actually speak the truth to each other because we belong to each other. So when we think about loving one another and we think about crucial conversations, we actually want to be people 
who step in, right? Who opt in to these crucial conversations. We don't want to sit in the sidelines and watch other people play catch. We, we are invited to actually participate in this and to speak the truth to each other, to our neighbors, because we belong to each other. In the book, um, Crucial Conversations, they have um, titles for some of these things. And, and they call this, um, what do they call it? Stating, stating your path. Right, so state my path. It means even though I actually might prefer to opt out because it might, I don't want to make things worse. I don't want to um, actually address it because it would be uncomfortable. They say, no, there's this invitation for us to actually state our path and then to, um, to consider another person's path. And so there's this, this catch, right, where we're offering and we're receiving. But, but there is this real temptation for us to stay silent about things sometimes where, where we're just trying to, to let it go because we don't want to stir the pot. So things get swept under the rug. And we think, well, let's just see how this unfolds. And so we, we don't often bring things that maybe it would be beneficial for us to have a real conversation with someone that we care about, with someone that we're in community with, with someone that we love. And to see God show up in that situation. But sometimes we just, we change the subject when things start to get too sticky. Or we'll sit at a dinner table with our spouse or with a friend and we'll talk about any number of things except the thing that we know that we need to talk about because this crucial conversation keeps bubbling up. Or sometimes we'll avoid actually talking about it and we'll send a text message or we'll send an email when really we ought to pick up the phone and call or go and have a face-to-face meeting because we belong to each other. We are united together and we love one another. And so we want to speak the truth in love. We don't want to not talk about things that matter. We don't want to not address this stuff. It's so easy not to. Um, When we love each other the way that Jesus told us to and the way that God is describing, we just, we actually choose to engage. Um, I see people avoid this stuff pretty often. Um, and, and I understand why. Ryan and I were um, hanging out with some friends a few months ago, and we actually went to a friend's house, um, and we were talking about stuff, and the topic of racial reconciliation and racial injustice came up. And so we were talking about Black Lives Matter, and we were talking about Colin Kaepernick, and we were talking about schools and neighborhoods and churches and how they tend to be divided racially. And um, my girlfriend said, you know, hey, come with me. And, and she walked into the kitchen, and she said, let's just make tea. She's like, I hate talking about anything like this. Like, I just, I never want to talk about this. I don't want to think about this. And I thought, oh, right, right? Like, isn't this easier? Isn't this, isn't this the thing that we are tempted to do is just to sidestep and to say, this feels uncomfortable. This feels unknowable. This feels too hard to, to wade through. And so we don't want to do it. Right? But Paul says that we ought to speak the truth with our neighbor because we belong to each other. We're members of the body together. Um, you know, what we need in the church is often we need prophetic voices who will speak up. We need people who are willing to take a risk and speak truth to power. We need people who are willing to step into situations because people are t- being taken advantage of. There are people who are being oppressed And sometimes it just doesn't work to turn the blind eye. And we need people who are willing to speak up and engage in hard conversations. And we also need compassionate voices. You know, sometimes we feel like we don't know what to say and we feel ill-equipped. And so we kind of, we shrink back and don't have conversations. But, But what we need is people who will speak truth to people who are lonely and who are afraid and who are hurting. 
people who are struggling with stuff to say you're not alone and you're not forgotten and you matter, right? And we don't want to avoid those conversations because they're hard and they're awkward and we're worried about the outfall of these things. We need clarifying voices. Sometimes things feel so swirly, right? Things just get moved all around and we need to be willing to engage in conversations to say, hey, here's some clarity. Here's some truth, right? Here is a way to walk and to move forward together. Loving one another includes um, speaking up and speaking the truth to each other in love. Another thing um, that loving one another includes is building each other up. In Ephesians 4, 29 to 32, it says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it can give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So Paul is writing to these people who have these deep disagreements, and he is basically saying, hey, why don't you guys stop being jerks? That's my interpretation of what that verse is saying, right? Like, he is basically saying, guys, stop doing this, which means they were doing this, right? Which I think we can get because sometimes we get riled up and and we speak in anger. But he is telling them, right, don't let any more of this corrupting talk come out of your mouths. The Greek word there is actually a word that's kind of like rotten. Um, They would use that when they would describe like rotten fish or food. It's like this really putrid kind of word, right? Don't let this come out of your mouths. And he's not referring to like individual bad words. He's not talking about cussing. Um, He's actually talking about language and words that tear each other down. People who are being cruel and unkind to each other. He says, don't let this kind of talk come out of your mouths. We have to be building each other up. Right? He had just made this huge deal about them being united together in Jesus and what Jesus had done for them. They belong to each other. And now he's saying, guys, you have to stop acting bitter and angry with each other. Right? You have to stop calling each other names. You have to stop putting each other down because you don't improve your community and you don't make it stronger by cutting down and cutting off parts of it. Sometimes when we speak in these absolute or overstated terms, um, or when we're forceful and we're angry and we're unkind, we, we aren't increasing our influence, we're actually decreasing it. Sometimes we think we're increasing it, we think we're being smart, we think we're making a point, we think we're putting someone in their place, and we're, we're bringing truth to a situation, and actually, it's, it's being divisive. And the way that we're speaking, not that we're speaking, but the way that we're talking to each other breaks down relationships. It fractures friendships, and it doesn't sound like Jesus. Um, A number of you have friended me on Facebook recently, and you may be disappointed with this because it turns out I'm not a great Facebook friend. (laughs) Um, I haven't really been posting much because I have stepped back from Facebook in the last um, months, and in part, um, it's a temporary thing, but I was just getting so sad as I was watching people interact with each other and the way that they were lobbing things back and forth. And people were not playing catch. This was not a great place to be having crucial conversations, but they were taking stuff and they were just throwing it at each other's faces, right? And it was so hard to watch and so hard to see people who I had known for a long time, who were long time followers of Jesus, people who I had maybe worshiped with even when I was a kid. 
And like there came this one point that, that I saw this comment on Facebook and it was someone I had known a long time. I mean, he's actually an elder at a Presbyterian church and he was commenting to another person who was a church member. And he was like, what, did I just wake up in Stupidville? What are you saying? And I was like, oh, like that, man, what are we doing? Like that was, I just, it broke my heart. And I think sometimes when other people get riled up and when they get heated, we respond in kind, right? But what actually would be beneficial is that when other people get furious, we get curious, I took that from the book, from that Crucial Conversations book, right? They said, when other people get furious, we should get curious. Because what you want to do is you want to consider, why would someone who is reasonable, someone who is decent, someone who otherwise makes good decisions, right? They don't walk around like kicking puppies, right? These are are good people. How would they end up in that situation? Not that you have to agree, but to really catch the ball that they're throwing and then to throw the ball back and to, and to say, okay, what, what's happening? Because we don't want to speak out of anger and bitterness and rage and malice and think, you know, I've got the corner on truth here. I actually understand something. And I know why you understand that the way that you understand that because you're totally wrong and you have no idea. And besides the fact you're blah, 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 right? We just get going and going and going. And too often, we're just trying to make a point. We're not trying to make a difference. And we aren't actually moving forward with each other. We aren't remembering that together we are united in Jesus. We have to prioritize prioritize the unity of the kingdom of God in the way that we have our crucial conversations. God's kingdom is absolutely going to outlast any of our disagreements, any other allegiances that we have. God's kingdom is going to outlast our political parties. God's kingdom is going to outlast our companies and our building projects and our nonprofit endeavors. God's kingdom is going to stand when everything else falls apart. When Paul was writing um, this letter, the, the Roman Empire was ruling. Right? They had vast uh, power, and they have fallen. And they were worshiping in a temple that has since fallen. It's been destroyed. But the kingdom of God that they were talking about, it still stands. The kingdom of God is going to stand. It will prevail. And we are united together in that kingdom together. What Jesus has done for us brings us together as brothers and sisters. And this is significant. So when we love each other the way that Jesus has loved us um, and the way that Paul is describing, we are going to speak up. We are going to enter into our crucial conversations. And then we are going to actually be kind, right? We, we are going to build each other up, not tear each other down. And then the third thing um, that loving each other and engaging in these conversations in this way is that loving one another includes kindness and compassion and forgiveness, That comes right from verse um, 32 that we had read. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. When Jesus was here, he had all kinds of conversations with people, right? He talked to a lot of people um, and a lot of the conversations that Jesus had were high stakes for people. And um, he talked to all different sorts of people, right? So whether he was talking um, to sinful people or, or righteous people, whether he was talking um, to lepers or rich rulers, whether he was talking to an adulteress or an apostle, whenever Jesus was talking to anyone, every conversation that we read that Jesus had in scripture 
whether he was correcting people or teaching people or calling them to repentance or blessing them and healing them, every time Jesus left people's dignity intact, every time Jesus had a conversation with someone, no matter how heated it was, no matter how much they disagreed, they might turn and walk away and not receive what he was offering. But every time Jesus left people's dignity intact, love is kind. And that doesn't mean that it's passive or it's weak or that it doesn't address things. It doesn't mean that, that we don't step into these crucial conversations. What it means is that we enter them in a place of compassion. We enter them with a softness and a recognition that each of us is, is worthy of dignity and love and honor and that we have been brought together in Jesus. Ephesians 5.2 um, says, walk in love as Christ has loved us. Right? This is, he's finishing up this teaching by saying, walk in love just like Christ has loved us. Right, friends, we have to love people enough to engage. And we have to love them enough to be kind. Right? We have to love people enough to engage, to engage in the conversation, to engage in the crucial um, heated disagreement that we have. And we have to love them enough to be kind. I don't know where you are this morning and where you see yourself in terms of having crucial conversations. Right? Maybe you're someone who would much rather avoid it. And maybe that tends to be your MO, to, to try to sidestep it. Or, or maybe when you find yourself in a crucial conversation, you're someone that, that finds yourself um, naturally getting aggressive. Or, or your default would be to respond in a way that, that you later would regret. Or maybe you're really good at this and we could all sign up for lessons from you. But, but, you know, can you imagine what it would look like if every one of us grabbed hold of this a bit more, right? What would the broader church look like if we all prioritized this idea of the kingdom of God and grabbing hold of it in the way that we appro approached all of our conversations in our churches, in our marriages, in our workplace, in our friendships, right? What if our tone and our words mirrored Ephesians 4? Or what if we filtered our words through Ephesians 4? I think that um, loving people the way that God loved us, the way that Jesus showed his love for us, requires that of us. So when we think of crucial conversations, and we, we think of all of the stuff that we have been studying and thinking about together over these weeks, right? this is what we want to do. We want to be people who speak the truth in love, who actually have the hard conversations, but do it in a way that loves and honors people, um, that remembers that we first are identified by who we are in Jesus. So I want to end um, our sermon today, or my sermon today, by um, inviting you um, to stand. And actually, um, Debbie, are you able, can you get the Ephesians 4.29 back up, that other slide? I want to um, invite us to just read this aloud together and to end this as, as a prayer, um, that, that we together would read this and to, and to pray that this would be true of us. So let's read this together. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you 
along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. Lord, may this be true of each of us today. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.